Hello and welcome to The Point of Everything, the podcast that goes in-depth with the creators of music and art in Ireland. My name is Owen O'Sullivan and today's guest on the show is Paddy Hanna, who's released one of my favourite, if not my favourite, album of 2018 so far. Uh, frankly, I mutate. Frankly, comma, I mutate. It's out on Strange Brew Records and it's Paddy's second album under his solo guys as Paddy Hanna. He's been in other bands such as Skellocrats and he's also in another band called Ottremond at the moment, which you will find out I had forgotten about until five minutes from the end of uh, our chat, which is poor on my part, but I was there just to kind of get into the world of Frankly I Mutate. If you haven't heard it yet, maybe just straight away, just press pause on this podcast. This will be around and you should listen to Frankly I Mutate because I think it's so good and it really is uh, the best thing that I've heard Paddy Dot. Paddy Hannah do. I've been a big fan for years um, but there always felt like there was that little bit more that he could do and I think he's finally achieved it with this. He, his first album, first solo album, Leafy Stiletto came out a couple of years ago and it was good. Join the Navy is still a stellar song but I think that there's absolutely no wasted moment on Frankly I Mutate. Daniel Fox from Girl Band, who's becoming the producer to have in Ireland, is behind it. And it sounds like they really worked well as a team. They, he, um, Daniel brought the idea of a wall of sound to Paddy, and that really comes through on the album. It, it adds, like, obviously, it adds several different layers to it. And... Yeah, it's there there are so many good songs. Bad Boys and Sunday Milkshake and Mario Lanza, which came out as standalone singles last year, preceding Frankly I Mutate. And then they just all make even more sense listening to this album. And once you hear Paddy discuss the process that was involved, where he was mentally, physically, when he was creating this album as well, I think that you'll come at it again from a whole different angle. You'll hear certain lines that will floor you because there's a real level of honesty here that I don't know if it was fully present in Paddy's music beforehand. And then I haven't even mentioned Aina Brennan, aka Dowry, does the strings and orchestration for Frankly I Mutate. And like, it again, it's just, it it sounds so familiar and yet sounds so much better than like loads of other kind of indie I use, I use the term lightly I suppose um music that's out there so yeah as you can hear I think that this is the album of the year so far Irish or otherwise for me probably he says without without having his list of the 10 albums in front of him just so he can calibrate and rate and fix into the proper order but this is the album that I have had on repeat uh, for weeks preceding the interview, knowing that I was talking to Patty, and I've had it on repeat constantly for the week or two after I talked to him. I think it's brilliant. I think Patty is an essential artist in 2018 in Ireland. And if you can catch him on the festival circuit, he's going to be at the likes of Body and Soul um, over the summer. Make sure that you do because it's going to be special and it sounds like he's doing really, really well at the moment. He was at Primavera as part of uh, kind of an Irish group, that w an Irish gang that went over. It includes Roe and Alva Reddy, and there were a couple of others too who were playing 
kind of primavera in the early afternoon i guess before the main stuff started but what a coup for the guys uh to get to go over and get that experience and kudos to angela dorgan i think it was who organized that uh so yeah here's patty hannah thanks a lot for listening to the podcast make sure you listen to frankly i mutate and hope you enjoy this chat um so we won't bury the lead we'll go straight in on it patty uh just back from primavera is that like the first big show that you've done abroad Um, how'd it go i was happy but then i can't speak for the crowd i can only speak for myself i can speak for the band as well they were they were happy um it was good i mean yeah, it was the first big overseas show under my current guise, and uh, it felt good, you know, to have my pasty, freckled Irish skin being sort of blistered by the Spanish sun while belting out sort of Austria and stuff like that, you know? Felt nice. Does stuff like that um, actually affect you and affect the songs? Like when you're actually playing in like the blistering sunlight or playing in like real hot heat outside is it like a totally different gig does it actually take you know getting used to um i went in with the assumption that i was going to do as as best as i could um so whether it was sunny or rainy i don't think it would have made much a difference uh the only difference was i got to wear sunglasses unironically which was which was nice you know <laughs> Because I don't know what to do with my eyes. It's like actors with hands, you know. That's why Brad Pitt eats all the time. He doesn't know what to do with his hands. I don't know what to do with my eyes, so sunglasses help, you know. I look as though I'm, like, being meditative rather than peering about the room like I'm hiding secrets. What? You don't, like, uh, making eye contact with the front row or something? I don't like making eye contact with anyone. Oh. Yeah, it's, it's a mystery, that one. I mean, when I was 13, I tried, there was a doctor who tried to solve the problem and it didn't work out. I must have been, I've been clunked in the head a couple of times when I was, when I was little. I fell off a gate once, another guy headbutted me by accident. We ran, it was that whole running across the classroom and just dugunk, two heads just clunked. Oh, I got it. And then another time, I think a guy called Peter Kelly. There's selective memory for you. (laughs) I hope this isn't going to be defamation. I'm sure, look, there's, well, mercifully, there's a lot of Peter Kellys, you know? (laughs) You'd need to do a bit of sleuthing to find out which one it was, but um, he, yeah, I was in his house, and we were sort of, you know, na 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 clunk of the head again, so that must have knocked me out of whack or something. I don't know. Is is this kind of like going through your possibly undiagnosed concussions down the years or something, trying to explain it? I don't know if I need to talk to a medical professional. I don't know if I'm expertise enough to be like, maybe that was it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I probably have some, some issues that are un, unsolved. I mean, uh, I, I've definitely had more concussions in my early life than are probably healthy. <laughs> so, look, I, I, can't bl- I can't blame that on everything. Maybe I'm just <laughs> lazy. Maybe I just was never arsed, you know? You haven't banged your head recently with anyone. I've been very careful. I have a massive head as well. So Really? Uh, now I'm just going to look at your head. Yeah, I well, said that. Well, you can't miss it, can you? I mean, it's huge. <laughs> you know, that's that's no star. That's a that's a spaceship. You know, um, or is that small moon? I beg your pardon. The the uh, Death Star. Uh, I'm I'm not sure. Sorry, my Star Wars knowledge isn't. Well, I look. You know, I watch them all, but like I don't pay any attention to them. 
Uh, I'm kind of. I think I'm done with it now. I'm done with that, and I'm done with the superheroes. You know, oh, yeah. I'm. I'm happy to tap out. I mean, I love. I. I mean, I, I'm. I'm a, an admirer, but I'm. I'm happy to step off the train for at least a couple of years. Maybe let them build up, and I can watch them in a group. But um, yeah, I'm. I'm not te- currently buying what they're selling. You know. Did you watch Solo? The last Star Wars movie, the latest. I don't think many people did from the sounds of things. It's going to lose a lot of money for Disney, which I think if ever there was a company that needed a slice of humble pie, it's Disney, you know? I think it's healthy, you know? They need a failure to make themselves better. Um, Coming back to the music, I guess, uh, early on, I don't know, we we probably could talk about all of the superhero movies and why you're tapping out. I presume it's kind of... The same as what everybody uh, thinks while they're watching it. It's like, haven't I seen this before? You know, hasn't that storyline been done already? Mm. Even though I quite, you know, I, I'm okay with them. I've kind of buried any hatchets that I might have with them. It's like, you just got to go with it. It's just, these come out regularly. If you don't go see them, you're not going to go to the cinema for a long time, probably. I, I mean, uh, I've, ta- I, I, I'm... I'll be the first to admit that I've tapped out at the wrong time because there was, there was Black Panther and there was Infinity War, both of which were very well received by critics. And But you know what? I've made my decision and I'm okay with that, you know? Um, it means that when I listen to my little poppy culture podcast or whatever, I'm going to be very out of the loop when they're making all these references. But again, these, these are... This is a consequence of change, you know? Things have to change sometimes. And that's just the way I gotta be. I think that that's kind of the thing with the way that pop culture has gone, though, because of like because of the internet, because there are so many kind of um, subgenres of subgenres that you can like get into now, and there is like a community there for you online that you can find as well. It's like you can go away from the mainstream, like far away from the mainstream, and there's still these people who will be like, you know, this tiny thing that only a hundred people have ever heard is like the best thing, mm-hmm. and you're happy enough with that. Well, I love accumulating knowledge of things of that nature, but I, I, I like pop culture and music and collecting and what have you, but I have my limits. I think I, I tap out if my fandom is becoming a bit too much a lot of the times. I, I'm like, uh, there's one th- thing I really don't like that's unapologetic fans, you know? The people who can't admit that their heroes maybe did something crap once oh, in a while. Oh, yeah. That, that to me is is infuriating you know i mean most of the people i admire i'll be the first to admit that they've they've done underwhelming things because they're human beings they're not gods you know so um i think that's what if you're a fandom or rather a super fan you kind of have to do that a little bit don't you i mean to be unapologetic to try and constantly justify everything you know Look, you know, sometimes you just don't like things, you know, it's okay to admit that. <laughs> well, that's the internet as well. Everybody has one opinion or the other. It's either amazing or it's the worst thing ever. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit of an issue, the internet, isn't it? I mean, Twitter is a bit, it's a bit, it's a bit maddening these days where there's two obsessive opposite sides to coins and all middle ground is shot down and beaten voraciously by those two aggressive sides. You might make a point that leans to the left, but a psychotic 
uh, uh, liberal uh, person will shoot you down for not being enough of that. And then, of course, the conservative person will mush you also because you said something that w would be deemed as left-leaning. So there's, there's not much you can do, I don't think, with, with Twitter and what have you. Um, but, you know, what? that'll change over time. It's in its gosh darn infancy, you know? We're still Is it? Yeah, we're still getting used to it. I mean, it's what, it's less than 10 years at this point? Uh, Twitter is probably just um, like 2006 or 2007, I, th I think. But um, It's not even in its teens, you know? It's, it's still got a lot of ways to go, does social media. I don't know. I think that I wouldn't be surprised if everyone is like, well, actually, the social media thing, maybe it's not the future, not the wave of the future that we all thought. Maybe it's actually bad for us. I mean... There are just so many bad stories coming out about Facebook now. I wouldn't be surprised if, like, it really does hinder it in the next five or ten years. Yeah. I mean, that's another option. Maybe it'll just be done away with and looked at in this kind of... Do you remember when we used to make up fake profiles and attack other people's accounts for no good reason than just to vent? Not that I'm saying I did that, by the way, but... Um, <laughs> what's scary to think is that... It's like invasion of the body snatchers. You don't, I mean, half the people in the room might be all nice and whatever, but, you know, they'll be nipping into their phone and going into their secret trolling account and, you know, saying something um, objectively awful to someone. I mean, only yesterday, Twitter was ablaze. There was an incident on the, on the tracks, I mean, and on, uh, what seems to have been a very tragic suicide occurred and people from obvious trolling accounts were mocking the whole thing, deliberately trying to rile people about it, saying, oh, the trains are being held up, this is a disgrace and all this. And, you know, you go into the account and there's like, you know, 10 followers following 500 people, an obvious fake picture of like, that's of some person. And then like a, a, a ridiculous sort of make America great again bio kind of thing. And it's, Crazy. I mean, it was virtually all trolling accounts, just saying, ah, let's go after this. This will be our focus. And then if you're a rational-minded person, and there'd be like one rational comment for every <laughs> 10 ludicrous comments. And um, yeah, it's, it's um, it, maybe it should be done away with. Although I do like promoting gigs on it. That's the one thing. Yeah. That, that's the double-edged sword, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, there is the, the old endorphin rush or whatever they call it of getting X amount of likes and all these sorts of things. That's a pleasant thing. I can't knock that. But, th but then you don't get X amount of likes and you're like, oh, what am I doing wrong? I've deleted a lot of tweets. You haven't well. done well. Yeah, like, I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, I did comb through my Twitter profile. Not, not recently. It was in downtime when I was like, when... I was not getting any traction whatsoever from music and I'd be just bummed out. And I'd be like, oh, I think I'll comb through my Twitter and maybe just delete every tweet that I deem to be very douchey in hindsight. You know, whether it's me being way too needy or attention-seeking-y or trying to be funny and just bombing horribly, that sort of thing. I, I got rid of my share of those. But wow. yeah, yeah, that's a day well spent, huh? <laughs> More people need to do that. More people need to be like, uh, like going through it. Like, what did I say when I was like 14 or something like that? Or however young you were when you started up your uh, Twitter. I was older than 14. I was in college. Yeah, I mean, Twitter have a policy now for just like a zero tolerance for racism and things. And people get suspended for that. Like a three strikes policy, something like that. But 
Twitter need to, you know, there are certain people who should have their Twitter membership revoked just out of principle, not necessarily because they said anything hateful, but because, you know, you're, um, you obviously have issues and social media is the last place you should be hanging out. You know what I mean? Like screaming into, into the void is not a good way to deal with mental health issues. And there's, there are way too many uh, folks who really should have their Twitter, sh- Twitter membership cards revoked. <laughs> Take some time. You know, deal with your inner self. Don't just scream into the void. Why doesn't the world love me? It's not healthy. Um, so who, who are you playing with at Primavera? Now we're coming back to the music. You've got a couple of the girl band guys in your band. Yeah, got the rhythm section. Got um, little Adam Faulkner on drums and little Danny Fox there on um, bass. We got Ian's, or rather Adam's brother, Ian Faulkner on keyboards. Oh. Yeah, we have Aina Brennan back on violin. We managed to rope her in with a free holiday, and uh, uh, so she's she's back. Uh, I think we she'll be playing joining us for all of our festival shows, and we have uh, Daniel Fitzpatrick on guitar. He currently plays under the name of Bad Hands, and he's formerly of the Mighty Steffs Parish. That's, oh, okay, right, yeah, yeah. So it's a, it's a, it's an interesting mix of people, but you know we all get on very well, which is a good thing. I don't think that there's not a diva in the bunch. You'd think there would be, but there isn't. But if you're saying that, maybe, Paddy, you're the diva. Oh, man. I didn't think about that. <laughs> I mean, I'm demanding in my own little way. But I'm too, I, I think I'm too self-deprecating to ever be that kind of where's my room temperature Evian person, you know? Did you have a writer for um, uh, Primavera? We did. They looked after us. We had like, t- you know the way in Spain... They don't have like fridge doors in bars. They have those ones where you, like, like um, we scoop them open, like a like where you get HB ice creams in Centro or whatever. Oh yeah. The two of those just fill to the brim with every soft drink you ever did see, not to mention beer, and uh, sandwiches. So we got pleasant, shall we say. But after the show, you know, couple before it, that's fine. But then you can go hog wild after the show, you know. Is are you speaking from experience there? Um, I mean, of course. I, I've we played a gig. It was a while ago. It was in Eindhoven. It was with a different band, and that same thing happened. You know, inexhaustible supply of beer in the fridge, and we weren't playing till about twelve o'clock, and we were so hammered by the time we played, and we made fools of ourselves. Wasted a very good opportunity to make some new friends and fans and what have you. And there was a guy who traveled like three hours to see our show he was like a, I would assume a fan <laughs> and he le- apparently he was very sad about it he left uh, probably throwing all of our CDs out the window you know so be careful <laughs> um, so like was that something that you thought about straight away like oh that was a bad gig I shouldn't be drinking this much before a show yeah well you just need to know your limits I mean, you could say two-point limit or whatever, but, you know, you might be able to handle four without going over. I mean, just... No, you, you can tell physically when you're entering the danger zone. Also, you don't want the sting to go out of your tail. You want to have... Um, you want, you know, you want to be sharp um, because heckling is a, is a problem, you know? Especially if you're playing to crowds who've never seen you before. Odds are you're going to get heckled, so... 
you, you, you want to be sharp for that. And if around two beers, you, you'll, you know, that's the right balance of, ah, that's taking the edge off and I've still got my cognitive function to deal with creeps that want to say shit. Um, so like, I mean, Primavera is a pretty good start for um, most Irish bands. It was kind of like an Irish music showcase at Primavera Sound in Barcelona. I think like you and Roe and Alvaretti and a couple of other acts as well, kind of playing in the afternoon, kind of before the main stuff happened. Like you weren't competing with Lord or anything like that. When, when were you playing? Like, like four o'clock or something? It was the day pro area. So as you say, I mean, they mercifully put us on before any of the larger, more internationally established acts played. So, you know, we, we got our, we got a decent crowd as a result of that. And um, it was kind of fun because we were the Irish contingent and there were, there was a South African contingent who I got on very well with. There was a Korean contingent. Uh, I saw a band called The Solutions play. The guy went on stage and he said, hey, come party with us to the audience which was very Jedward of him, I thought. <laughs> um, so have a listen to the solutions and see how you feel about them. There was also, I mean, I think Australian, uh, Italian, and of course, Spanish. Uh, oh, there were Chilean. It was great. It was like the World Cup. You know? Um, like, is this kind of one of the first big opportunities that you've gotten since releasing Frankly, I Mutate? Like, it's kind of people seem to like the album and you're kind of getting these new opportunities it's the first opportunity i haven't squandered oh there you go um so like you know i i used to very much have that attitude of sure only people who go to these things to schmooze are such phonies and you know bunch of phony baloney uh, goosebags they've all got fake smiles plastered on their phony baloney faces but i mean if you believe in what you're doing and if you um have real sincerity and heart and belief. There's no reason why you can't say hello to people and shake hands. Also, I'm tremendously antisocial, so it's good to meet people. That's my that's the way I look at it. I'm going and making new friends, you know? So um, I, I've long since jettisoned that notion that the schmoozy, shaky, handy, moi, moi, honey pie uh, aspect of music is... is um, is the bad part of it. I, I don't personally view it that way. It just, it depends on the person and, uh, what, and your sense of belief, I suppose. Well, what changed? Like, is it just that you believe in the work a little bit more? Like, actually, this is really good and I do have to kind of push it. Or is it a combination of things? Begrudgingly, I dragged myself to that point where I was like, listen, just believe in yourself for crying out loud. I mean, I'd released... Two albums with Grand Pocket Orchestra, three EPs, uh, about two albums with Skelecrats, I toured with Ginnels, I played on about three No Monster Club albums, then released my first solo album, two singles in 2015, and that was all before I ever had the slightest sense of self-belief. So it's like, you asshole, how have you managed to do all this stuff without not moping and feeling as though you can't do nothing? So I've, I, I had that kind of epiphany moment during a very rough period in my life, which culminated in my performing at Hardworking Class Heroes, where I 
you know, you've seen the Shawshank Redemption, right? Mm. You know, at the end where he keeps going to parole meetings and he keeps saying, oh, yes, sir, I'll, I'll never misbehave again. You can trust me. But then at the end, he just says, I don't give a shit. And they let him out of prison. That's basically what happened. I, I wound up getting hammered and, uh, the night before our show when there was a 10 a.m. speed session, which happened the next day where folks, like speed dating, where for five minutes you speak to an industry professional. And... Um, yeah, I got excessively hammered the night before, woke up on a couch around 8 a.m. Uh, it was Daniel Fox's parents' house. And uh, I, yeah, I went to the speed sessions wearing my tattered night before clothes, stinking of booze. And I just like, I just told the truth to everyone. That's what I did. I just said, listen, man, I'm, I, I, I'm probably still drunk. Um, I, my life is in tatters. Everything I've... All I have is this goddamn music, which I've sacrificed everything for. I've compromised relationships, friendships, all just for this, you know? So look, just come and see my show, you know? Uh, I'm not going to disappoint. And that was it. And it like, you know, there was a huge turnout for the show and I got that Primavera gig out of it. And it was all just because I was like, I'd had enough of being that kind of um, I don't give a flip person or the oh what's the point person you know I tired of it you know and that that can happen if you do something long enough uh, but have low self esteem issues about it you know eventually I, I should hope you have that moment so was that hard working class hero speed session was that when you had the epiphany or was it just the drink talking and then you had the epiphany or did it come earlier that like actually i am doing good stuff um that's a good question i would say um i i'd say that morning really i mean i i'd gotten some degree of nice press for a couple of singles off the new album frankly i mean hey and um but i still didn't really you know, like I got coverage in NME for the first time, which was like a, a boyhood dream. I kept trying to tell myself, I kept trying to shout to my inner child and saying, you know, listen, buddy, you know, I did it for you, pal. I, I, I helped achieve one of your dreams. And I'm, I'm hoping, I was hoping like my, my lost inner child would be like, thank you, Patrick. You've set me free. Cha, 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 cha. And then, then I could feel like, ah, weight has been lifted off. Lasted about five minutes. I went straight back to Mr. Mopey Pants. And my inner child was like, why, Patrick, why wouldn't you set me free? And like, I tried, buddy. I just bought the wrong key for the cell, you know? <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, so Hard Wing Class Heroes. Uh, I, I, I was coming off some good press and all this kind of stuff, but I was, still wasn't really uh, feeling it. So I think, yeah, I think it was that kind of, I didn't really care, but I kind of did, um where I said to myself, oh, I'm going to be very responsible tonight. I'll have one shandy and then I'll go home and 5 a.m. I'm like pissed out of my head, you know, and then I, yeah. So I think, I think it was a combination, uh, which culminated in my sort of truthful spewage. Um, that sounds really interesting. Like, have you, have you kind of come to terms or listened back to all of that stuff that you've done before and been like, actually, like this, this is good stuff that I have done and the stuff that I'm doing, but now is better. It's like the journey is kind of going on and it's getting better all the time. 
I'll tell you what. Or, or do you think that like the stuff that you did before, oh, that's shite. Like I'm just putting that there and I'm going to. All, all I can say is that moving forward, I'm very content to write without um, a sense of, oh, you're wasting your time or, oh, what are you, what are you playing at? You know, I'm happy to write and I'm happy to write poorly. I'm happy to make mistakes, knowing that it's in the interest of knowing that my hopeful, hopefully my good judgment will carry the stuff through and my, I would like to think filter of relatively decent taste will prevent anything cruddy. Well, I mean, it's, it all depends on the listener, I suppose. Uh, but from my, my perception of what is good, uh, hopefully will um, uh, keep on a working. But uh, yeah, well, as I say, I'm, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not afraid to write now. I'm very happy to write and to try uh, to take risks because uh, we proved that with Frankly. I mean, Frankly was a massive risk of a record, uh, a costly risk as well, but it's sort of paid off for us. So, you know, risks seem to be good. Like uh, the Waterford lads from O Emperor, like they always go on about meeting people in the street and they're like, uh, oh, you still at the music, you still at the music, mm-hmm. you know, just, oh, you're still plugging away at it sort of thing. Like where you kind of feel like, you were playing constantly and recording and releasing and writing and you just weren't seeing the like results at the end of it, like personal or um, not, I guess, commercial as well in terms of like bigger audiences and bigger listeners. Yeah, I'm, I'm still not seeing results in a lot of cases, you know, there's still such a massive amount of work to be done. The only difference is that now I'm completely at home with the process and the fact that it will take time. I was only just talking to an interviewer there recently where he's like, they asked me like, what's the biggest thing? It's like, it's time. That's what it is. Time is such a deceiver. Time makes fools of us all. You know, we can do something long enough to the point that our, our brains will start telling us, hey, you're wasting your time, buddy. You tried, but you failed. And maybe sometimes they're right. But if it truly is what you want to do, and if it's truly what you're good at, you have to say, screw you, time, you know? Uh, it'll, I was going to say my time will come, but then I just told <laughs> time to screw off, so that would be foolhardy. But you know what I mean? I, like, Once you reach a point, like most people in bands, all they do is worry about turning 30, you know? Oh, when I turn 30, man, the party's over. No one will take me seriously. Turning 30 was great for me anyways. I felt really nice about it. So I didn't, uh, the worrying was gone. No, never more will I worry about turning 30 in that vain kind of 20 something way. And so that kind of took a, a, a lot of weight off. Also, when you're in your 30s, people respect you more. I mean, it's, it, it's a uh, vacuous point, I'll admit. But um, like bands in their early 20s aren't threatened by you because they see you as like, well, that's Grandpa Hannah over there, you know? That's old Padge, you know? <laughs> like, you know, we're, like, he's, like, f- eight years older than us, so, like, we don't have to worry about him stepping on our tails. Whereas if you're, like, 21, people are threatened by you when you get trolled and treated like shit, or rather, you're more likely to be. So, I mean, come on, there's perks to that. And, like, did you go through the phase of just, like, not playing or, like, fuck this, I'm not doing it anymore? like putting down the guitar for a month and like I'm done with being Paddy Hanna. <laughs> yeah, that's what happened after 
it happened after Stiletto came out and it happened after the singles I released in 2015. That recently? No, it's yeah, I've, I've, I've stopped a couple of times, you know. I went on antidepressants after a bad spell and um, I felt really jolly and really up with people and this and this and that. And um, I was like, you know, I think I don't think I need music anymore. I think I'm kind of okay with this. And then, of course, over time, the cracks started to show. And you know, antidepressants are are good, but they're not good. I don't think in the long run. You know what I mean? They 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 start to deceive you, much like Mother Time, uh, into thinking certain things when it's not the case. You know that sort of superman like sensation and i was just thinking ah you know but like you know it was robbing me of my creativity that was the problem but because you thought i don't need music anymore yeah yeah i was thinking you know I, I could become a salesman a traveling salesman i could travel the world saying i could move to morocco and work in a souk um uh, or something like that you know but i was yeah i was being deceived into thinking that there's pursuing life things that I would have no interest in and then of course I went off the antidepressants and it was like that Henry Sellers moment in Father Ted but in reverse where it's like the bastards you know I just went like oh my god I want to be a salesman and I I, I just grabbed the guitar immediately (laughs) it's just like must make new album you know so you didn't create anything while you're on the antidepressants I hope this isn't getting too Person. No, I, I did, I did, I did, but... Um, it, it was more kind of like just plucking away for yourself sort of thing. Yeah, you know, you know, I've never played Angels by Robbie Williams before. That's a good song. I'll play that. Yeah. Now, like, I mean, look, the antidepressants, all joking aside, did bring me to a level of confidence where I felt making, frankly, was a good idea. Do you know what I mean? Whereas, like... Uh, you know what? You you could make an album with an orchestra. You could take you know work with new. I mean, I I worked with an entirely new bunch of people on this record. I previously worked with Mark Chester, who produced. You know, we we were basically partners in in a in a sense. Uh, like I mean, I was the writer, he was the guitarist and producer for the whole kind of thing. You know, and. Uh, I decided to, you know, to that's it takes a it's a heck of a step to move away from your from a partner of sorts, you know. So I mean, look, that's what the antidepressants did. They imbued me with a sense of confidence, which I can now, having had the validation of that off the antidepressants, I can work well. I mean, the demons will still always be there and what have you, but it's good to have that, you know. So I do say. Give antidepressants a go. Just just don't push it, you know? Long enough so that you can peer above the clouds and you can validate yourself. That's what I can say. And so, like, I mean, I think that you've talked in the past about those singles that you released in 2015. Austria um, was the A-side. I can't think of the uh, B-side. Camaraderie. Like, you kind of talked about your depression and stuff on them. Did you feel like that kind of buried it then? I think, well, it was more just like, listen... This this is what's going on, uh, and I'll 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 do it in the most obvious kind of way possible. I'll uh, 
we, I didn't want to make a music video for it. It was my manager at the time's idea. It was like, ah, hey, you have to make a music video. Uh, uh, MTV. Uh. All the 21-year-olds and bands are making music videos. Yeah, exactly. You know, they want Grandpa Hannah to make <laughs> one too. So I was like, okay, I'll make a music video. So I had to think of something like on a couple of days notice. And so that's where the idea came from. I was like, oh, I know uh, there, there's a house where I can, that I could probably get access to. And all I'd need is a horrible cheap suit. And I'm, I'm already drinking way too much at the moment. So I'll look bloated and sad. So that'll, that'll be good. And uh, then all we needed was just a camera stand and a relatively decent camera. Uh, we shot it in Hoth with big, in a room with a house with big windows. So natural light was streaming in. So the, it lit itself normally. The house belonged to my auntie and she is um, very uh, obsessive about neatness and positioning. So basically everything looked like it was laid down with spirit measures. So it looked like you were in a clockwork orange just in terms of the angularness and the perfection of everything around you. So the, the music video basically made itself and then you place in the middle of that a deeply imperfect person who for the first time is staring down the barrel of the camera with these bloodshot sort of eyes and it just kind of worked. And um, yeah, so that's, that's how that came about. But it was all done, I mean, on a couple of days notice, really. Um, and like, so then everything else kind of happened. You kind of like put down the guitar for a while. And like what happened that, frankly, I Mutate became a thing? Like Bad Boys, I think, was the first track that we heard from it last year in 2017. Yeah. I always have to think about what year it is. I'm like, it's 20, it was 2017 last year. Yeah, it's a tough one, that. Um, I, it, yeah, what happened was we made the record and my manager... You made Frankly or... We were, we were making Frankly. And we are about... I mean, it stretched on way longer than it needed to. There were various issues. I mean, um, studio recording it was uh, shut down midway. Well, not midway through, but... We were basically finished, but we had to do like extra vocal takes and what have you. So we do that in a different studio. But about a week into the two week recording process, my manager, who kind of put the whole thing together, he instigated myself and Daniel Fox's meeting, which led to the making of the record. Uh, he parted ways with me midway through the process in Stevens Green as I was on my way to the studio. And, uh, you know, I took it totally on the chin. I was like, listen, man, you do you, you sort yourself out. Uh, you've helped me immensely to put this album together. And look, don't worry about it. We'll figure this out. I'll figure this out on my own. But of course, inside I was like, you mother, you know, inside I was not the happiest dude, but I, yeah, so then the second half of the recording process, I was cantankerously drunk the entire time. Um, I can tell you for, with certainty that many of the vocals, in fact, some of the significant vocals, I was completely hammered uh, for. Uh, I won't say which ones, so try and figure that out for yourself. So, um, there's a lot of wailing going on in the background of a lot of the tracks as well. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the wailing it was pre pre prepared from the demos and what have you um because that's how i demo i usually just use vocals in the and then we sub in the vocals uh with like that whole 
based on the melodies hummed by Garth Marenghi, you know? Um, so, yeah, like a lot of the string arrangements would be written around hummed melodies uh, or just little little toy keyboards that I have and what have you. So when you hear a lot of the wailing, with one or two exceptions, it's actually that that's all sort of constructed madness. Was was that like the uh, the goal at the start, a kind of constructed madness? Was that what Daniel Fox, uh, who produced the album, who plays with you now, was that kind of his goal at the start? Like this kind of like this kind of a wall of noise sound that you have, and like there's lots going on in there. Like from the very start, it's almost like. I don't know, it's like a kind of a piano is playing and it's like all of this stuff is going on around it. Was that like constructed madness? He he wanted to hold on to the spirit of the demos that I made. He knew that like in a lot of the cases, I mean, a lot of the songs in the album were written before the songs on Stiletto, the first record. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. I mean, the... Um, Oh, uh, like all all the really peculiar songs on the record were written before that. They were all songs I had written and uh, shelved because I thought they were a bit too out there. And um, Daniel was the first person to ever hear them because um, I wanted Stiletto to be a straightforward drive time seventies record, and so they, those songs didn't have a place. But then, for frankly, they did have a place. And um, as I say, Daniel wanted to capture because it's capture that kind of the intensity or the peculiarity of the demos like the demos were really loose I mean they didn't some of them didn't have endings or whatever and say like, no let's keep the endings but let's put a wall of sound over it do you know what I mean Let, let's let's orchestrate the roughness so we kept the roughness the demos are almost copied and pasted in terms of their structure and what have you um, so that's what gives the album it's strange quality in many cases is that you know we, we were very true to the demos and then orchestrated everything around the roughness of that um d why did the demos stick around like why didn't you delete them or what why did you send them to daniel was he just he wants to hear everything i mean had did you know the stuff that you were sending him or were you like i have no idea what like this demo is but I'll send it to him and you hear it back and you're like I do not remember making that yeah well I mean you have to remember the low self-esteem thing I felt that the music I was writing at the time wasn't up to par up to snuff or maybe it was a little too gooey or a little too obvious or something like that so in a kind of moment in a moment of fear or desperation I I said to Daniel hey why don't we listen to loads of old demos I have that just been sitting around it was almost like an excuse uh, or, or, or to not play him any new songs because I was, again, Captain Insecure. Listen, when you have to sit down with a, an acoustic guitar and play a song to one person that you know no one's ever heard before, that's mortifying. So I thought, oh, good, I'll get the demos and play it to him. But then I had to play him all the goddamn demos off my phone. So rather than sitting there and singing the song, it's, it's the two of us just sat there listening to all these goddamn demos. And you know he was he was super duper honest. He, he told me when certain ones were shit, but the ones he gravitated towards were pretty much the ones that were written around the same time. Low voices, the second last track on the record. Um, uh, Reverend's grave, the song that features Saint Sister uh, on uh, 
harp and vocal melodies. Um, and uh, Local Strangers, that track, they, they were all those songs. And uh, all written around the same time. And that's what, uh, as I say, he thought was cool. And um, yeah, I'm just trying to think which, which were the ones that I had written that I had to play from. Bad Boys was one. Frankly, I mutate the last track. I Saw the Man Part 2, I had to play that from. That was a very different song when it started off. Um, then, uh, yeah, uh, there's, I'd have to have a think about it. Yeah. Um, have you written much, like, in the past year or two? Like, actual demos or something? Or, or have you kind of found it hard to go back into that? No, we, we were very keen to get cracking before the album came out so we had it like i i put together about nine solid enough demos that we then that we've sorted out uh since then uh i think we have about seven solid demos thus far uh and i'm working on I think I'll need to, uh, I tend to write in bursts, you know, so there'll be like a week where I'm writing really, really well, then I'll stop for a while and then I'll start up again, you know, stop starty kind of dyslexic stuff. So, um, yeah, the, the next batch I'm very excited about, so it, it's going to be a very different record. I kind of think you need to kind of do that, don't you? You can't just do the same thing twice, you'll bore people. So you don't think you've actually kind of found or defined your sound yet? I feel like this is kind of like, I thought that this was kind of the culmination of everything and now you've kind of, you know, you found your persona and your voice and the sound. I thought that it all kind of comes together in this, but you're like, I'm going to try something new. Mm. Well, I think there are elements that'll stay, you know? I'm just not going to say which ones. <laughs> Wait and find out. Yeah, exactly, you know? That's what your taxpayer <laughs> dollars will get you. And, like, um, that wall of sound... Um, sound uh, is Anna Brennan responsible for kind of the orchestration that's kind of running throughout the album yeah she came in with sheet music and everything and is she, is she like a proper genius as well when it comes to all of this stuff I mean in terms of, of taking my hummed melodies and adding layers to it and adding uh, harmony and what have you she is certainly um, certainly one of the best in the country I mean She's value for money, that's for sure. I mean, at this stage, I mean, like, uh, I, I, I was able to get her when she was cheap. I mean, she's not going to be, she's not going to be, uh, she's going to be, a, you know, several, several grand a session kind of person pretty soon. So, you know, um, get her while you can, folks. That's all I'm saying. Before she becomes picky, that's what you've got to worry about. And like, what, what was the collaboration like? Was it just you humming the sound and she going okay i understand this now i'll go away and do my thing yes that's exactly what it was it was myself daniel and her and Aina in the in their old girl band rehearsal room uh with myself going okay now you have to go and she'd go it's like by gum you got it um <laughs> that's exactly what it was like um i mean it's really unprofessional when when you think about it, but luckily there were professional people to kind mm -hmm. of plaster in the cracks or whatever the term is. And so, like, I mean, creatively standing back from it now after it's been released and it's been, like, well-received as well, I think. Like, are you able to enjoy it, like, 
think oh, I've done something really great here. Um, there's always something, isn't there? This could have been louder. That could have been. You only see the bad stuff. Yeah, but I think that's it's difficult, but it's kind of important. You don't want to become smug about it. I don't think. And if you do that, you're in trouble. You know. But are you able to take the plaudits now? Um, I think I've accumulated enough to the point where I can say yes. But my only concern is to not become Mr. Uh, Mr. Success Pants. That would be a that would be a bad thing. I mean, don't get me wrong. I could use a bit of extra money here and there, but um, I you know. Uh, one must strive for one's art <laughs> and not become, uh, you know, who's the one with the paradise syndrome? Dave Stewart from Eurythmics. Apparently he has paradise syndrome. Can you explain that? Well, when you achieve everything you've set out to achieve in your life and how, like, and then some, you develop paradise syndrome, a sense where... Oh, I've done everything now. Now I have this sense of nothingness. You know, you want to be a musician. You're in like one of the world's biggest bands. Or you want to date models. I'm sure Dave Stewart did that, etc., uh, etc. Et and all of that—that that was the reason he wound up in that awful supergroup with Mick Jagger and Joss Stone. Super heavy, you know. You you don't join super heavy if you've if you've got a real artistic axe to grind, you know. <laughs> Uh, it, it's if you're overtly content and you, you, you don't know what the heck you're doing. <laughs> I'm really crapping on super heavy here. Um, I can't think of what they sound like. I can probably have a guess, but I'm kind of glad I don't know as well. I think it was Ziggy Marley was in the band as well. And the bloke who wrote the um, uh, Slumdog Millionaire soundtrack. Yeah, it's, it's just an utterly mismatched group of people. Um all kind of doing their own thing essentially and then dave stewart just kind of looking sad poor guy <laughs> um so like we're talking at the start of the summer like uh not even the middle of june yet just the start of june uh busy summer ahead i guess at the end of the summer you'll kind of know where you lie like have you won over the festival crowds have you like gained plenty new fans along the way i've done festivals um, you know, when you start, usually you have to do the kind of crumb bum stage at uh, festivals where it's sort of yourself playing to a bunch of lost drunks who are like, uh, do you know what the main stage is? I like, can I tell you after the show? You know, that's where you start off. And um, I used to get really annoyed about festivals where it's like, you know, like, come on, I've gotten really good reviews. What? Why? Like, you know... Just because it's not, uh, they're not bangers and this and this and that. Why can't you just appreciate it for what it is? But then you kind of have to accept that that's what festival crowds are like. They like to dance. They like the rockosity of it all, raucousness. So, yeah, I've so we've we've given the live show a a good scrub, and it's um of a festival standard now where we can play what what we feel to be our songs of considerable quality, but also um, in a vivacious and exciting festivalian way. So, yeah, we've got a few coming up. And um, so whether you're high on XC tablets or stunned as, a, as can be, or had a few drinks, or just 
there to enjoy it with a cup of tea. It will be, um, it will be an entertaining uh, show. Will anything top Primavera though? Um, it, it's gonna have to, you know. <laughs> the only way is up. Yeah, which is a song by Yaz and not Eurythmics. Um, uh, but um, no, you just kind of have to keep uh, striving. I was thinking about that. Boy, that really was fun, that Primavera stuff. But you just can't get cosy. Nick, sorry, I was going to say Nicholas, sorry, can't get cosy. Um, I did want to just ask before we finish up, kind of where the kind of the persona that you do put on has kind of come from. Is it just like just performing you know, on stage, like wearing the sunglasses and everything and kind of like you don't sing how you talk, you know, you kind of put on this kind of grand grandiose voice. Like where where does it all come from? Is it just kind of performing, performative stuff? Well the voice is just, you know, using the larynx to push to push it, you know? So the talking voice is different to the to the singing voice. So I mean I don't think I, I don't think I'm putting too many affectations on it. I mean Maybe I am. I, I don't believe that I am. Um, as far as the character goes, that's that's just who I want. I, who I've wanted to be, all the time. I just didn't have the cojones to to muster that up. But I think you know I've been playing in another band at the moment called Outremond, and that that kind of fruit opened me up a, a great deal in terms of performance. It's kind of like. I don't know what I'm going to do tonight, but I know I'm going to do something utterly ridiculous. You know, I'm going to thrust myself onto the floor. I'm going to take my belt off and start whipping the floor with it. I'm going to do sexy dancing. I'm going to do this and do that. I'm going to drink heavily and I'm going to just act as nonsensically ridiculous as I, as I want to. And um, that kind of thing has been a tremendous boon for my own stuff. Not that I want to diminish uh, Outremond uh, as well. Um, so yeah, I mean that's that's just what I've always wanted to do. Um, I just I did it early on when I hadn't kind of developed any gravitas at all when I was like twenty one or whatever, and uh, I tried to be that dude, and it's just like it's bitterly lad, you know. You're not you're not that guy yet. So um, so there you go. Uh, that that's why I would uh, take on that persona on stage, you know. I kind of forgot about Ottermond because I came here just planning, let's just talk about Frankly and let's just talk about Paddy Hanna. And then you mentioned Ottermond and you guys released an amazing EP. Was it earlier this year or was it last year? We, we released two. Oh no, we released one EP that had four additional singles on it, I think. it was. I think it was earlier this year. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> like a, a seven and a half minute track, which is like, it's so good. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm remember. Are, are you humming? Um, this is what you say to Anna, a, uh, Anna Brennan. Like, yeah. I want an orca. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, that was fun to do as well, though. I mean, I, like we, we we like to not use any kind of rule books at all with Ultramond. We all like to just take the mickey in a sense and then just try and weave together something and if, if, if it gets the sort of nod off everyone then we're, we're happy to pass it off as a Notremon track we got um we're working on the album at the moment so that'll be out um at some point uh, we may have a single out by the end of the year uh, cool yeah we're looking forward to it it sounds like you're uh you're in a good place you're in a I feel like Mark Marin, you know, when he wraps up his pot. <laughs> that sounds like you're doing all right, man. We're getting there. We're getting there, you know. I, uh... 
every day is a new battle, but uh, we're definitely on a, on a steadier path.